At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, good day, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time it is by you. Welcome to Line Drive Radio, your favorite baseball podcast. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here on Long Island in the great state of New York. Home of the Bronx Bombers, baby. And it's time to bring on my LDR teammate from the great state of Illinois and the great windy city in Chicago, Mr. Ted Bedford. What's going on, buddy? As always, I got to ask you. What's going down in Chi-Town? Well, you know, your uh, your two teams in New York are collectively 37 games over 500. My two teams in Chicago are collectively 10 games under 500. Sorry about that. Sorry. Sorry so, you know, here here we go. Um, you know, with uh, and, and we say that with the Cubs, eight games under 500, having only a negative six-run differential. While the White Sox in second place and two games under 500 with a negative 50 run differential. So when the wheels I, it wasn't me, right? when the wheels fall off, the milk goes bad, kids. That's <laughs> the White Sox are expected to be a playoff team. They're expected to win that division. They've got all of their chips in. They've talked a huge game for a couple years, and here we sit on the second of June, and the White Sox have a worse run differential than the Baltimore Orioles. Figure that out. Yeah, they're uh, pretty high on the Orioles down there in uh, in the great state of Maryland. There's no doubt about it. It's been hey, a, Adley it's, Rushman. We talked about it. Adley Rushman is a totally different vibe for that yeah. team. Good for them. Yeah, They've been he, waiting for it, and it looks like it might be there. And they're over 500 at home. So, good for them, man. Yeah, I mean, it just makes the American League East a little more interesting than it already is. I mean, if the if the Orioles are going to chip away at some games here on some teams, uh, especially when it uh, comes to helping out the Yankees, you know, I'm all for it. You know, it's good stuff. Hey, but look, the, the, and you know what's crazy? Second of June, and the Red Sox are closer to last place than they are to third place. What a shame. What a shame. It, it, I'm sure you just hate to see it. Oh, just hate to see it, Dan. <laughs> hey, but look, you know, Paulie, and, and, we'll, and we'll throw some uh, – We'll throw some flowers at the at the Blue Jays here in a second when we start talking some of our headlines. But four of the five teams in the AL East are five and five in their last ten. So it goes back to that we're breaking even, and if you can get hot, you got to ride it as long as you can. The Blue Jays are the only team in that division that is better than five hundred over their last ten games, as we talk here on uh, Thursday, the second of June in twenty twenty two. So. 
Um, break even seems to be the uh, the vibe in that division. And every once in a while, you'll have a team jump up and do something. And, you know, right now, Toronto's striking while the iron's hot. And they're taking advantage of, you know, the injuries that we talked about and the off-field off off stuff with uh, the Yankees and Tampa now without Wander Franco, who's going to spend some time getting his body right. Uh, he found himself uh, spending a, a little bit on the injured reserve here. Uh, with Wander out, Tampa, you know, is, is going to have to find a way to fill a huge void from a young player. So uh, Blue Jays making some noise. So we'll uh, we'll see what where that division leads as we get into the heat of the summer. Yes, and you know, over there, you talked about the other New York team, the New York Mets here. Uh, in their division, uh, pretty much every team in that division besides them is pushing uh, 30 losses. I mean, the Nats obviously have that moniker now with 34. Uh, but the Marlins, 28 losses. Philly at 29. I know we're going to talk some Phillies today. Uh, Atlanta, with tw- Atlanta with 27. So what I'm getting at here, Mr. Bamford, the... Um, um, National League East isn't all that tough this year. So I would say, um, yeah, damn right the Mets are first. Because, you know, they're not really playing against some good baseball in that division. Yeah, I... And, and, and we're going to... And they play the Phillies and the Nats a lot, you know? Yeah, you know, we are, we are going to... Last week we were very American League heavy. So we're going to spend some time in the NL this week. Um, but we've, we've talked about it all year, Paul. And that is, uh, you can only play the games on the schedule when they show up the old Bill Parcells axiom that you are as good as your record says you are. And you play teams when they're on the schedule. Um, but the Mets are doing right now what they failed to do last year. And if you listen to line drive radio last year, even when the Mets were in first place for two-thirds of the season, we talked about they have an opportunity here to pull away from the mess, and they never did. And they allowed the rest of the division to creep back, and when DeGrom went down and then Lindor got banged up in July, they took a step back and opened the door for anybody else that wanted it. And at the end of the day, the team that wanted it the most, or didn't want it the least, I guess, was Atlanta, who ended up striking gold at the deadline and then running away with it and winning the World Series. So kudos to the Mets for doing what we and everyone in New York begged them to do last year. And they are going ahead and pulling away from that division. If you can pull away after two months, the Mets are doing it. So They've won six in a row, eight of their last ten, and they've got a double-digit lead in that division, which is far away the largest division lead in all of baseball the other two leads in the National League Milwaukee is only up two on St. Louis I think we expect them to be fighting each other all the way through this year and then the Dodgers are three up on San Diego five and a half on the Giants and I think we've talked about we expect all three of them to hang around that playoff picture moving forward but the Mets are ten and a half up on Atlanta right now and Atlanta is the only other team in that division that's 500 in their last 10. So good for the Mets for handling their business in a way that you need to if you have legitimate playoff aspirations. And I think going into this year, Paul, the two teams that 
talked the biggest game about expectations were the White Sox and the Mets. And you look at how the, those two teams respectively have handled those expectations. Look, the White Sox have had tons of injuries. Tim Anderson's on the shelf now. Mancata's missed time. Eloy Jimenez is out. They haven't had Lance Lynn yet this year. Giolito spent some time out. Those are all excuses. Um, the Mets haven't had DeGrom on the bump once this year, and Scherzer's missed some time. So it isn't like – and Dom Smith just got sent to AAA because he couldn't hit water falling out of a boat. So – you know, it isn't like the Mets have had the same lineup in their full complement of pitching the entire year. They're missing their they've they've missed arguably the most dominant right hand pitcher in baseball the entire season thus far, and and Scherzer's missed some time as well. So, again, full marks to the New York Mets for doing what they told us they were going to do. Their owner told us he wanted and expected and paid for them to do. Good for them. And, you know, good for that uh, group in the dugout with uh, Buck Showalter coming in for seemingly pushing every right button humanly possible thus far. Yeah, they've absolutely been fantastic in April and May so far. The Mets, he's given a lot of credit. 13 games coming up that I've got circled here. All right, 10 on the road. And they're finally playing some decent baseball teams, and that's the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Angels, and then home for the fighting uh, Brewers there. Uh, against Milwaukee, so 13 well, games that I'm we'll, we'll, at right We're going to talk about the Dodgers today because they're good, yes, but they did not have a good weekend. I know. I'm looking forward to that discussion as well. But um, I'm just saying as far as the Mets here, this is a, 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 you know, show me what you got kind of a run coming up here on the road yep. against some good quality baseball teams. So show me what you got here, and if they're still looking good and strong and you know, leading the division and everything by the 17th of June, then you might get a tip of my cap from this Yankee fan over here. All right? Wow. But not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> All right, pal. You ready to do some headlines? Fire it up, brother. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what's going on. Some of the big stories here. Not a couple. We're not doing, going to do all of them. We always try and pick out the fun ones. And it looks like we're going to start out in a place that me and Tab like to hang out a lot. And that is the Twitterverse. And Tab, someone pretty famous, someone special in my heart, has recently created an account and has fired it up in the Twitter world. And and tell everybody who that is. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Your captain and uh, Hall of Famer and the artist formerly known as an owner, uh, Derek <laughs> Jeter has joined the Twitterverse, uh, jumped on, had some fun engagement the first couple days. Uh, some young fan threw some shade at him, and he apparently went back through the kid's uh, photo files and found a picture of him with uh, Jeet signing his jersey and said, is this you? Phenomenal. Um, so Derek Jeter's on Twitter, and I think, Paul, that's fascinating. And I brought this up when I was chatting with the fine people on TSN up in Montreal earlier today. Um He's been kind of playful early in his uh, Twitter experience. Um, Dude, if he can look, be ha- look at the amount of followers he got it's, yeah. within I mean, 24 it, it, hours. Are you kidding? I've been cheats. on Twitter for eight years. <laughs> it's cheats, man. It's cheats. But look, oh 
if he can be half of the fun that we have with Tom Brady on social media, <laughs> God bless him. Uh, awesome. And Tom Brady sets the bar pretty hard on his social. If you don't follow the GOAT, please feel free to do that because the boy is as enter- he is everything that Bill Belichick isn't uh, when it comes <laughs> to social media. But look, you know, good, good for Jeets. Uh, and it, it, it's interesting, Paul, because, you know, ESPN's got this docu-series about uh, Jeter coming out yes. later this year. It is about timing, you have to admit. And, and clearly, you know, he knows what's up. And maybe he's looking for a new revenue stream after the whole, like, sell. And he'll probably make more money off Twitter than he did as an owner of the Marlins. Uh, <laughs> since, he, since he has more oh, followers. Oh, gets on to TikTok. Attendance already. Oh, boy. Because on TikTok, TikTok and IG. Forget about it. He'll never have to leave oh. the house. It's done. Uh, but, yeah, look, Derek Jeter on Twitter I think is fun. And, you know, it's interesting because, you, in, you know, in especially basketball and football, you've got a lot of guys that are pretty active out on Twitter. Kevin Durant's got his burner accounts. Uh, you know, NFL players are tweeting at each other, you know, trying to poach free agents, trying to recruit each other. Um, baseball is not as much of a Twitter sport when it comes to the players. And – a lot of the Latin American guys are huge on Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok. Um, but you don't have a lot of player engagement and interaction, uh, at least active player, on Twitter. And so I There's think it's rules good. too, right, Tab? I mean, most of these guys really yeah. can't. Yeah, can't I mean, if you're at, if you're active at the ballpark anyway. five or six hours before the game starts, you know, you pretty much, you know, you're maybe you tell us what you had for breakfast. Disagree right. with John Heyman and then, <laughs> uh, and then go to the ballpark. But uh, look, I think Jeets being on the Twitter is great. Uh, I look forward to following him and seeing what we can get from him. But what's interesting about it, Paul, is with that docu series coming out, Jeter more than maybe any athlete that we have seen during the last. 30 years, if we go back to 90 and include guys like Michael Jordan in, in the conversation and Tiger Woods, has done a better job of keeping his off-field life away from the spotlight. Probably the best one of them. I mean, almost, I mean, almost like Harry Potter level magic, making his personal yeah. life stay quiet. Mm-hmm. And so now that he's w- apparently willing to open up and be more playful and interact act with people. It's going to be really fun, I think, based on the early returns um, to see Jeter's personality. But it's very interesting for a guy, again, who stayed as intentionally private for as long as he has. It's interesting, and I'm really excited to see what we get from Derek Jeter on Twitter. So number two is now on on the Twitterverse. Give him a follow. Absolutely. Now, let's let's point out the 16 accounts that he's following, okay? Yeah. Obviously, he's following Hannah, his wife, right? Uh, yeah. Or is, is it is, it's Hannah's wife? Or... See, I, now I, see, again, I don't know his personal business. So there's a Hannah Jeter and there's a Charlie Jeter. So there's I believe, two. I believe Hannah's the wife. Okay. And Charlie sh- might be a uh, sister, I think. Gotcha. All right, yeah. Okay, um, he's following the Turn 2 Foundation, which is his foundation, uh, the Players Tribune, CC Sabathia, who is uh, at 480 followers, and I think Jeets now has 340 something. Uh, a Rod, he's following A Rod at 1.2 million followers. 
things that he never did in the hearts of Yankees fans. He's following he, Alex Rodriguez. There you go. He's following Dick Vitale. You got to love that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Janks account, obviously, MLB. Pedro Martino, Pedro Martinez, one of his arch enemies during the day. Rod Carew, um, Hoda, Hoda from TV. I, I can't even try and pronounce her last name. There, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, uh, he's uh, keeping in tar- uh, in turn with the news, and that's the New York Times. He's following CNN, so he's he's following the news. What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, Players Association, and last but not least, uh, following Twitter Sports. So there's the 16 accounts. Noticeably absent from that follower list is his uh, former gig in Miami. Yeah, nothing really. Not following Mm. the Marlins, any of their players, any of the Yankees' individual players, which I I think knowing how Jeets has conducted himself, that's not terribly surprising. But it is a surprise that the early follow list does not include the Miami Marlins. Uh, But, hey, here we are. Here we are. Derek Jeter on Twitter. And that'll be a list that is incredibly exclusive, much like many of the rooms that he partied in in New York uh, (laughs) during his playing career. Velvet Rope on the uh, follow E list for Derek Jeter. Hey, what do you say, pal? We got nothing to lose. Let's both hit him up later on today. All right? See if we can get a follow. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, he. Oh, heck yeah. Why not? Let's get into that. All right, man. Come on the show. We wish the Jeets all the best of luck on one of our favorite places, uh, the Twitter as I like to call it. All right, buddy, you want to go up north to the Great White North? Uh, there's some some hockey still going on. You guys know me and Tab, big hockey fans, but uh, there's a Not in Toronto, team. there isn't. No, yeah, that's, <laughs> ooh, I saw, I laid that one up, man. Yes, not in Toronto. There's no hockey going on there right now. But there is baseball, and it's going pretty good. You want to talk about yeah. these Blue Jays, huh? Yeah, we, we, we've talked about this for a while, and, and again, we, we tend to spend a lot of time and the American League East, not only because of your uh, Yankee fandom, but also because you've got some really fascinating young teams, some dynamic players, and that just that division now, especially with Adley Rushman joining the Orioles and some buzz down in Baltimore uh, that isn't coming from over-serving the Old Bay, um, you're looking at a division that is – Really, really fascinating, and it should be. It stacks up for years to come, especially with Baltimore's rebuild starting to get there and trade rumors blowing all over the place in Boston. But uh, Toronto, we've talked about. Their lineup is too good for them to stay hanging around the 500 mark. They were able to get through some really lean times offensively on the backs of their pitching that's been pretty decent. Their bullpen's been pretty good. Uh, but they've won their last seven. As I mentioned earlier, they're the only team that isn't 500 in their last 10 in the American League East. They're 8-2, and two, and they've sprinted to nine games over 500. And over that 10-game stretch, they have made up three games on your New York Yankees uh, to climb back to within five, and that is the closest You mean, you mean my place. New York Yankees, who you said were driving off a cliff last week? Hey. Those guys? Five and five in their last ten, brother. You know, we. I, but again, I, I think you just you have to expect that there there will be ebbs and flows from teams. But right now, uh, the the tide is rising in Toronto, and look, they're sixteen and eight at home, which is great. They just handled their business against the White Sox in pretty impressive fashion. 
even with Ryu leaving the game early with what appeared to be some type of a physical issue. But five games is as close as any team is in the American League right now. The Sox and Guardians are five back in the Central, and the Angels have slipped to five and a half back of the Astros on the uh, heels of a six-game losing streak as we start Thursday. Um, with the Astros winning four, the pendulum is swinging in the direction of Texas in the West. But, uh, look, Toronto, their bats are starting to wake up. They're starting to get hot. And the pitching is good. And, I, again, before the season started, I think we expected New York, Toronto, Tampa, and certainly more from from Boston. But I think we expected those three to be there. And Toronto has done a really nice job in the last couple weeks of uh, putting it together and having the pitching and the bats complementing each other. And they come into Thursday with the longest winning streak in all of Major League Baseball, one better than the Mets. So... Uh, some some respect for the Blue Jays for getting hot at the right time. And when I say the right time, I mean as soon as the Maple Leafs got their uh, their tee times uh, confirmed, the Blue Jays woke up and the bats got hot. So maybe they should have left some offense for the Leafs. Uh, But but they didn't. And the Jays are now uh, half game clear of the Rays. Again, we're going to be without Wander Franco. For a minute here, but the Blue Jays have made up three games on the Yankees, and I think if you're honest, Paul, the Yankees need to pay attention to what's going on behind them because that Toronto team has some really good pitching depth, and that lineup is going to play. Yeah, hey, look, as far as um, I think any team, and, and not to knock the, the Orioles here, but just you know in terms of where they are last couple of years and where they are right now and everything else. But as far as everybody else in the American League East, I think all the teams expect, and, you know, obviously the Sox are uh, so terribly stinking so far this year. Um, you know, you would expect everybody in the East was always going to have to keep an eye on everybody else, you know? And yeah. this is just the way it's going to be here, especially with Tampa and, and Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa, I should say, and Toronto and the Yanks here. And uh, this is all good stuff. The, the Jays have a good chance here with their upcoming schedule. No knock against your Sox here, but uh, if they take this game today, um, you know, heading into Mini and then KC and then a set with Detroit, and then they've got a four spot at home with the Orioles right before they, uh, the Yankees come in. And, and if, again, don't sleep on the Orioles because no, they've not, got some energy. They've got a vibe going right now. Not at all, but, you know, you're talking about their flow here, how they're kind of turning things around at the right yeah. time. So if, if they can keep this going here for the next two and a half weeks, heading into that uh, Baltimore series, and if the, if the Yankees here, like I said, if they keep just being a 500 team here uh, with some of the stuff that they're going through, but, you know, I don't think Matt Carpenter's is going to let that happen with the way he's playing uh, since joining the Yanks. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I think what you're you're onto something here with the way the Blue Jays are playing, and you expect that. And you know what? I I got to tell you too. Look, as as a baseball fan here, um, as somebody who who is a diehard Yankee fan and part of this division, and everything else, you, you want to play against the best. You want everybody in your division playing good because that's got to keep you on your toes. And if you're kept on your toes early in the season, it's just going to keep you make you a better ball club uh, for the the long run. And I'm all for the competition being close here and and being tight. And uh, it's great to see, you know, uh, the Blue Jays here in Tampa as well, just kind of keeping it interesting. You know, who knows if the Sox are going to turn things around? Probably not. But, look, this is all healthy stuff. And the Yanks right now, because they weren't really given much of a a credit as far as, you know, when you you talk about the Blue Jays and you talk about, 
you know, Tampa and everything else, and they've kind of flipped the story here a little bit. And everybody may have thought that the Yankees were going to be the team this year that was going to have to play catch-up. And mm-hmm. it's it's been flipped, and it's another way around here. So, look, um, look, play better ball. Play, come on, Blue Jays. Come on, Tampa. Pick it up, Boston. We need some competition in this division. And, look, I think the story that we're going to not be able to avoid as Boston keeps trying to get it together is they brought in Trevor Story much like the Dodgers brought in Trey Turner as a theoretical potential heir apparent at shortstop. He's playing second base out of position right now, like Turner did with the Dodgers when he got there. But they were able to let Corey Seager walk as a free agent, even though he was a homegrown hero, uh, because they had a guy who might, he's got to be in the conversation for the most valuable player in the National League right now. Uh, already there with some term left and with the money and the years that they committed to Trevor's story, the reality that Xander Bogart's time in Boston may be short and maybe shortening because of their performance on the field this year is, you know, something to really be mindful of because I, I think there's no way for us to avoid that conversation because of the money that they gave Trevor story. And if they want to retool instead of, rebuild and I don't think you give story that deal if you have any intentions of rebuilding you know it looks like they're going to have to at some point make a decision between Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts and with again the term that they gave story Bogarts might be the biggest name that you start hearing even more buzz about before the trade deadline especially if they keep being closer to Baltimore than New York in the standings tough to hear gets me right here tab Right here in the heart, you hear about the Bosox struggles this early in the season. So I, I, Love I, to see I, it. I really do. I hope they, uh, I hope they turn things around. Yeah, one of these <laughs> days. <laughs> and by turn things around, you mean take the truck and go home? <laughs> yeah, baby. All right. Oh, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, another big guy uh, getting a big uh, load of money, and a uh, guy that I picked to be MVP of the year. Um, and he's playing wah, out, wah. <laughs> out in the Rockies, baby. Uh, and that is your call. Where, where's Rockies. that losing horn from uh, Price is Right when you yeah, need I it? Know. We need that right uh, now. Chris Bryant, uh, Noah Stocky. No. Uh, no. Right now, yeah. But, but they're putting up runs. They're putting up runs. I'll be Well, they're giving up the runs. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the in case you missed it category, a double dip in Denver yesterday uh, be, between the Rockies and Marlins. Jeter's former team uh he does and, not follow on twitter and the denver uh <laughs> the denver uh, the fighting rocks and maybe they were inspired by the hockey taking place in denver uh which if you uh if you enjoy sports if you haven't gotten into the hockeys yet if you just in, enjoy watching really high level competition i think paul and i would agree watch the western conference on the National Hockey League right now between Edmonton and Colorado. I mean, look, you're going to be all in for Igor uh, doing his thing, but I think, look, the scoring in that Abs-Oilers series was out of control, 14 goals in the first game. Hammer the over, like the drum at Purdue. But uh, yesterday it looked like uh, the Dolphins were playing the Broncos because they played a doubleheader. Uh, and they had 40 runs scored in two games. Uh, 
Uh, the uh, the the fish handled the first game fourteen one. Uh, apparently they donated the PAT without the touchdown coming first, uh, you know, and uh, Tua with two touchdown passes for the Dolphins in the first game, 14-1. Nightcap, uh, Brendan Rodgers had what he said after the game was his first ever three-homer game, Little League, travel ball, high school, college, doesn't matter where, went yard three times, including uh, winning it in extra innings, 13-12. So uh, pressure on the uh, av- Avalanche and Oilers to match thirteen twelve. Maybe they will. I would. I wouldn't be shocked with the goalies <laughs> that they've got available in that series. But football scores in Denver on Wednesday. Doubleheader. Forty runs scored in two games. Paul, do you like the offense, or are you are you looking for a, a number that's closer to what you expect out of your boy Igor Shesterkin? Well, you know, this is it's a great conversation, and I do want to go back and forth with you on this a little bit. All right. So, like, I as far as the as far as if you take the hockey side of it, right? As far as the and and Tab, you know, you because we're both on the Twitterverse. As far as my personal feelings on this Avalanche Oilers series, uh, that was a garbage game the other night. It was a joke, and as far as I'm concerned, whoever comes out of this Ranger Lightning series is gonna win the Stanley Cup against either of those two high flying teams in the West because they don't have any defense. They they can't match the top four defenses on both the Rangers and the Lightning, and their goaltenders are both sieves. Uh, Kemper uh, and Smith are just not goaltenders, you know. And Smith, who's a warrior, but he's old and he's looking tired, and I just don't see either of those two teams standing up. And I think it just becomes a bit of a joke when you get an eight six. That, that's an all star game score. And, yeah, it's fun. The horns go off and la-la-la. Everybody goes, look at this guy, look at that guy. But at the end of the day, if you're a purist and you love the game, um, I, I don't like it. I like I like what we're probably going to get for the full length of the series in Tampa. Now, you get into this baseball thing here. Um, one of my favorite things about, even as much as of a hockey guy I am, I will, be, I will admit it here. I think baseball playoffs are better. Okay? Wow. Yes. Because I love... The art of baseball, the chess matches uh, that managers have to put together, especially when it gets into a shortened series and you have a healthy uh, pitching staff and your relievers and everything's going on, and every pitch, every hit counts, every play on the field counts, everything from you know sacrifice flies to getting the ball in, relays, Catchers playing incredible defensive games. There is so much that's involved. And, and I think the Stanley Cup is definitely the hardest trophy in all sports to win because there's just the Agreed. physical, the skill, the skating. It's the hardest trophy to win. But baseball playoffs to me are just, I think it's just, I just love it. I Like I, when people, you know, if you say baseball playoffs, and as much as the Yankees have won, one of my favorite uh you know, uh, World Series was the Braves and the Twins from back in the nineties, and the pitching oh, God. duels. The pitching was, and the, the, the you could cut you could cut the tension in the game with a knife. It's just incredible. So that gets back to I like closer hockey games because you you can feel it. And if your team is in the game, oh the the the, the anxiety is just nauseous. You know, I mean, uh-huh. I'm a Rangers fan, and they were up you know five two, and I was still waiting for Tampa to come back. You know, just because of the caliber of the team, but. Yeah, uh, there's nothing better than close hockey games, two one defensive, and and that's when hockey's great. So I don't, I'm not here. So you get into baseball here, and I'll just throw it back to you. Um, yeah, this is kind of a bit laughable. We're, we're talking about the Rockies and the Marlins here. 
Um, you know, if it was if it was two of the better uh, defensive teams or pitching staffs in baseball, maybe that a, a kind of game like that you kind of blow it away. Yeah, you're, you're going to have one of these crazy games where you know you score 22 runs. I mean, the Cubs were involved in one of those this year too. So, um, I think it's fun to look at. I, I don't know. I would prefer to be in a at a if I'm going to a game and spending money and stuff like that. And I'm obviously if you're on the losing side of a 14-1 game, obviously that, that's no that's no fun. 13-12, yeah, that could be fun, regular season and stuff like that, and you get a lot of runs, and it's a lot of fun for the kids and everything else like that. But if you're a baseball purist like I am, I love a good pitching duel. I love I love a more meaningful at-bat than, you know, fending off a seven-run lead or something like that. Obviously, we love great comebacks. It's nothing like that. One of my favorite games last year was Stanton hitting the, the grand slam against Boston, and that went. I love those kind of games. But when it comes to playoffs... I'll I'll take the ba- I'll take MLB playoffs and a close um, defensive game with pitching and uh, managerial moves and everything else over that. And I'm not taking away from the fun of this headline here and the football scores and and these two teams and everything else. But uh, you know, with with my commentary on there, I'll throw it back to you. And how, how do you feel as far as your take on not so much this game, but let's maybe focus on because you brought up the hockey in terms of the playoffs and then uh, baseball as far as the playoffs were concerned, if this type of a game happened. Um, so without turning this into our hockey podcast, um, I enjoyed uh, the massive scoring outburst the other night just because you, you have two teams that are looking at each other in a mirror. And I don't think it matters what sport you're watching. And it goes back to that, uh, I think that was 91, the Twins-Braves World Series, where they were very similarly built. And I will submit, as someone who is 42 years old, that um, you will not, I can't imagine that you will see a better, more, complete pitching performance from both sides irregular or postseason but sure as hell in the world series as you saw from john smoltz and jack morris in the deciding game of that series that was for my money the greatest pitching performance on both sides that i have seen in my lifetime and it was an incredible world series the whole world series was incredible all of it the drama pocket going up and taking that one away was all of it just Phenomenal. But I think when you talk about, you know, where I enjoy the playoffs, what makes baseball different than every other sport is it is a team game that relies on the full complement of the roster making an impact. But it boils down to a one-on-one matchup. You know, in hockey, you don't have players taking penalty shots, especially in the playoffs. Um, You don't have penalty shots where it's just skater versus goalie, right? In the NFL, you don't have just, you know, like a skills competition between a receiver and a cornerback. You have everybody on the field at the same time. In hockey, it's breakneck speed, line changes on the fly. Everybody's playing all the time except for the backup goalie unless it's Colorado Edmonton and they both got to play because one gets hurt and all four of them suck. But you, you have at the purest essence of baseball, a one-on-one matchup that decides who wins the at bat, who, who wins the plate appearance between the batter and the pitcher. 
and obviously you've got guys on base and you've got other dynamics and you've got the defense behind you, but it boils down to one-on-one. And you have a pitcher who is who needs to win nine one-on-one matchups to get himself through an order, mm-hmm. you know, multiple times. And you have 27 outs that you need to get with fewer runs scored than the other. And so for me, I think, and I've talked about this without turning this entire pot into a soapbox moment for me about what's wrong with baseball, but I've said this before. The, the, the real romance of baseball is in the nuances of the game. And at the major league level, you've lost a lot of that with the addiction to the t- three true outcomes, home run, walk, strikeout. And if you go back and watch that World Series from 91, you saw stolen bases, you saw bunts, you saw the way that the game is played. And we talk about our kids playing the game all the time. And in the pre-show Kumbaya, we talked about, you know, your son walking a game off in his house league. And last night, my kid had a travel game and he laid down about as good a bunt as you'll ever see from an 11 year old for a single third baseman. Didn't even take it out of his pocket when it got there. Cause <laughs> my kid was standing on first base, catching his breath before he got, he picked it up. But the, the romance of baseball is in all of the different nuances of the game. Yeah. Uh, where the defense is being positioned, how the pitcher's moving the ball around how you're moving a guy in a scoring position. And a lot of that's been lost at the major league level. But I will say I agree with you that the, the seeing the philosophical influences of the managers, uh, the pitching staffs, the way that hitters adjust, uh, especially to bullpens, uh, and the way that teams approach each other in baseball, is just completely different. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way that guys put it out there in hockey is undeniable. Guys blocking shots have having, you know, whatever it is, 10 ounces of rubber hitting them at 80 miles an hour and then getting up and skating as hard as they can the other direction is just mind-numbing. But but you're right. I think when you look at what – when you want to talk about really being able to sit down and invest in it, um, it's a longer game for baseball. There's more dead time. There's no dead time in hockey really. But but really getting back to those nuances is what makes baseball great. And you're seeing some teams get back to that small ball approach. Now, uh, San Francisco, Tampa teams that are winning, playing more player movement driven games. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think baseball's playoffs are magnificent and it'll be really fun and interesting to see how it plays out this year with an extra team getting a shot at the dance. Yeah. Uh, because you're going to have, you know, the ability for a team that would not have made the playoffs previously, no matter what their record was, having a chance to go win the whole thing. And, you know, and we both openly advocated. We want to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. Um, we yeah. want to see Shohei Otani in the playoffs. And if that's what it takes, great. But once you're in, anything can happen. And that's and pretty much the formula more... formula now for all the other major sports, as far yeah. as NBA, NFL, and hockey, as far as you know, you get look at look at even the the NCAA basketball tournament. Yeah, you know now baseball just gets now now we're really getting a taste of that. So I'm sorry I, I interrupted. No, you but, there, but I, I agree I'm, with you. Like I said, with a, you. I think you know you see adjustments in games. Uh, you see the way that teams change things either at halftime or between quarters and periods. But you're talking adjustments between pitches in baseball. You're 
seeing defensive positioning differ. Um, there's just there's so many other elements that go into baseball that I wish people would educate themselves about and really start to look at and enjoy. Um, that you're right. If you really if you fall in love with the game, the playoffs are great because it really is. It doesn't matter. I mean, look, the Seattle Mariners team that had more regular season wins than any team in history didn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what your regular season looks like. Brewers are another the only thing from the, the only two things that the regular season influences on the postseason is who's playing at home in game one and game seven mm-hmm. and who's healthy when the ball's dropped on the rubber and they say play ball. But that's the only influence that the regular season has. You've got a track record. You've got data that you can use to approach pitchers and batters alike. But I think um, when you look at the full package, it's hard to go at, hard to go against baseball. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And um, you know, like I said, you you know me, me and you have known each other for a while now, and we've obviously done a lot of hockey together too. And, you know, it's it's my favorite sport. I love it. But, man, base, baseball is right there. I, you know, you know, as American kids here, Tab, we're, we're really blessed as far as, you know, the four major sports here, you know, uh, getting to enjoy all of it. And I just – I love and appreciate the fact that I'm blessed enough to appreciate all four individual sports equally. Um, you know, we, we both love football. Uh, you know, we, we've grown up with it. We we both love baseball. I I've gone through periods of baseball when I was a kid and when I loved it, and and then uh, you know in my early twenties I kind of, you know, I didn't I didn't pay too much attention to um, in the early nineties. You know, I was you know kid into music back then. And grunge was taken off, and everything was like clashing as far as my world in terms of hard rock and heavy metal being wiped out by uh, Kurt Cobain and, and Nirvana and Soundgarden and all that other stuff. Um, well, but, but that also hit at the same time that you were kind of in that dark period. It, maybe we'll frame it as between Dave Winfield and Derek Jeter for the Yankees where Mattingly was, wasn't what he was in the prime of his career in the mid late eighties. Uh, but the early 90s weren't necessarily great for your Yankees either. No, it wasn't. And, and it was they, never re- they never replaced Mike Pagliarulo, if we want to just make it really <laughs> simple. Uh, the man who was in every single pack of 86 and 87 Topps baseball cards. But, you know, but I he's never replaced him. Yes. But you know what? I was watching the playoffs. I was watching uh, the great Blue Jay teams back then. I was watching, you know, obviously the – you know, hoping everybody would beat the Braves, you know, and and the Twins. You know, there was some, there was some great series there in the early '90s in the, in that gap before uh, yep. Uncle Joe Torre took over the Bronx Bombers. Um, but again, what I'm trying to get at too is like um, you, you love hoops. Uh, you know, the great uh, history of the NBA in terms of the great stars, whether it's Johnson, Jordan, um, you know, Larry Bird, and so on and so forth, and taking us to you know, you know, just the Knicks run in the '90s and everything else alongside with everything else. But the playoffs, uh, you know, when you look at all four playoffs, I am not a huge basketball fan. I, I, I will tune into the last two minutes of any final, of course, any <laughs> series and hoops. Uh, but baseball, to me, like I said, there's an art form to it. Uh, and, and I'm just glad that I can I can enjoy all of the playoffs. I love – I see, I, I and again, the last thing I'll, I'll, as far as talking about other sports, when it comes to football, 
there's nothing like the first two rounds. Uh, I love the wild card games, all the semis and stuff, yeah. and the and the, the championships games even more than the Super Bowl because those games, you know, you, it's a ride. It's great, and we've had some great playoffs the last couple of years as an NFL NFL fan. So look, I'm uh, I just love the fact that I love all of it, and I uh, equally as far as when the playoffs come around for each, it's great. Um, you know, once hockey season's over here too, man, you know, baseball's going to take us all the way to the fall classic, classic and all that other stuff. So it's great stuff. But, you know, we were talking about, like I said, the scores, uh, the art of the game. But, you know, guys like me and you, um, I'm just saying I'm grateful that I appreciate all the work. There's a, there's, a, there's a smartness that you have to have to not only manage the game but play the game. And, you know, just to get behind the plate and, and swing at a 90, 100-mile-an-hour pitch – and to be on that mound and to have all those different, um, uh, you know, different weapons in your arsenal. I still don't know how guys can call out a fast, you know, five streams, uh, four streams fastball and a curve and a slider just by eyesight. Like, even that, guys who, who know how to do that tab is just phenomenal. But, look, this is the great game. And, you know, this is, like I said, all sports. I just want to sum that up. Um, any playoff that you appreciate any sport and you get to enjoy it, that's the real beauty, especially, I think, for us here as American kids. Um, we've, we've got four fantastic sports here. We do. And I think as we continue to enjoy coming back to normalcy post-pandemic, mm-hmm. um, it's really nice to see that you've got full stadiums, uh, unless you know, you're in Tampa or Oakland for baseball. <laughs> um, you know, you've got full arenas. It's just it's great to see everything really coming back to what we had hoped for uh, with full stadiums and teams competing hard against each other. It's great. Love it. It's all good stuff. And that's a great segue into this week's The Goods. And I can't believe it. And I'm sure all you diehard listeners out there would never think that me and Tab were ever going to bring up the Pittsburgh Pirates. Unless we were talking about Willie Stargell's Pittsburgh Pirates. Up in the good section here at Line Drive Radio. But you know what? Here we are, folks. 2022. And we got some good stuff to talk about. Those pirates in the great city of Pittsburgh. Take it away, Ted. What do you got for us? So if you're if you're a fan of Line Drive Radio, first of all, thank you. Uh, second of all, share with your friends. But third of all, uh, if you've listened to us for a year and a half now, uh, we have... Like most people that talk baseball on the regular, um, <clears throat> not had a hard time crapping on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, and they've certainly given us plenty of opportunity to do so um, because they're not good. And they've done things like the play with Javi Baez last year where somehow a bunt is going to lead to a guy on second base and a run score, like just a mess. Uh, they do some things that make you wonder. Uh, they do some things that make you scratch your head. They're, they've drafted well and not developed. Just, it, it's, a, it's a hot mess, right? Um, they're not good. But the great thing about baseball is that, again, we said it before, you play teams when you play them, and you got to play the games and this is not a video game. This is not a simulation. You go out on the field and you got to perform. And as we speak today, the Pittsburgh Pirates are not a playoff 
contending team. They are five games under 500 with a minus 77 run differential, which is equal equal to the last place Kansas City Royals, uh, who rest last in the American League in that regard. So we've got uh, the only team worse. Actually, there is no team worse. 77 in the red is the worst in baseball, shared by the, the Bucks in Pittsburgh and the Royals. Or the Royals with cheese, if you're Samuel L. Jackson, uh, in Kansas City, minus 77. So it's not great, right? They're 11 and 14 at home, and it's like 11 and 13 on the road. The Royals won a World Series like a half hour ago. And the Pirates have only scored 174 runs to date, which is almost 30 less than even the Cincinnati Reds, who are in last place, five games behind the Pirates, who enter the day in third. Uh but when you look at the street column, Pittsburgh has a has a W three. They won their last three, Paul. And where who did they play in those last three games? Ooh. The Dodgers, who have uh, by based on win percentage, the second best record in the National League. In their house, who have a plus one twelve run differential, uh, which again you're closing in on almost two hundred runs better. Than the Pirates, but that's why they play the games. Mm-hmm. You know, we again, we we have taken all of our cheap shots and laughed and ha ha at the expense of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But when you do something well, when you do something good, we're going to be real, and we're gonna we're gonna give you your flowers. And it's time to give some flowers to the Pittsburgh Pirates. They they hosted Colorado. They won two of three after getting absolutely blasted by the Cardinals, including an 18-4 loss in the finale. And I believe that was the game that Yadier Molina came out of the bullpen and did his thing. Um, then they went to San Diego and lost 2-3, of three, but they were all close games. The two losses were 4-2 and 4-3, and they won a game 4-2. So pretty close games with a really good Padres team. And they go to Dodger Stadium, and they win 6-5, 5-3, and 8-4. And Paul... Uh, you love to see the upstart sneak up on somebody. You love seeing Goliath get brought back down to earth. Um, you know, they've got some guys that are underperforming. They've got some guys that are surprising people. There's no one on that team uh, uh, that really makes you say, ooh, I'm going to buy tickets. Uh, Brian Hayes may be <laughs> that guy, but he's only got one homer in 45 games this year. Burns. Um, but the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates – went into Dodger Stadium against the second-best team in the National League and swept the Dodgers. And so here at Line Drive Radio, you can't see it because this is a podcast, but we are both tipping our respective baseball caps to the team that we uh, we, we enjoy. Uh, we don't revel in, but we enjoy giving the business to uh, because they give us plenty of uh, comedy material. But kudos to the Pittsburgh Pirates for going into Dodger Stadium and sweeping a three-game set. Yeah, I got a kick out of it, too, because my little guy, you know, he's a big Yankee fan like me, and he's we're watching, uh, you know, he's he's nine, so he's looking to, you know, the Yankees to keep the best record in baseball. And he's chirping at me from the couch, and I was on the, he's like, Dad, he said the Pirates beat the Dodgers. This is great. <laughs> he's like uh, jumping on it, so uh, I get a kick out of it. Yeah, look, um, hey, Couple of games coming up here, but the, the streaks could continue here against Diamondbacks. I mean, we, we might see something uh, 
Is this magic time here? Because something's going on here, Tab. Because the Reds went into the Fenway and like won their first game since like 1915 or this first series <laughs> or something. So there's some magic going on here, maybe in Pittsburgh hey, against Cincinnati. But, but let, let, think about this, Paul. This season on June 2nd, the Pittsburgh Pirates are 15 and 26 against Major League Baseball teams not named the LA Dodgers. They are 5 and 1 against the Dodgers. The Dodgers are 32 and 12. They are 20 games over 500 against teams not named the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are 1 and 5. Oh my. Against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's why we love baseball. Because it doesn't freaking matter what you think. The only people that enjoy that that don't live in Pittsburgh are people that live in Vegas. Because I'm sure uh, those with uh, financial interests in that series really enjoyed watching Pittsburgh sneak up and, and catch the Dodgers. Not once, not twice, but three times a lady. So good on you, Pittsburgh. You know, full marks, full respect. I'm sure we'll be back to crapping on you next week when you lose the next five. But here we are on June 2nd, tipping our caps and giving flowers to the fight in Roberto Clemente's in Pittsburgh for sweeping the Los Angeles Dodgers. The, uh, I would say, one of the favorites to win the National League. And who knows, trade deadline, maybe, maybe the Padres, the Giants, the Mets, the Brewers, the Cardinals, Maybe they're calling Pittsburgh like, hey, what's the magic sauce? Who you got? <laughs> Who can we have? We gotta get we gotta get through LA. Maybe we'll 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 rent the Pirates lineup for a week in October. Making a note. Watch the phone number for the Pittsburgh Pirates at the trading deadline. Oh my god. Well I guess our pal uh, our old pal uh, D B Dennis Bernstein picked a good time to uh, not be in LA uh, for the homestand. Uh, oh boy he's covering puck. But uh, I tell you what, all all I have to say is um, it must have been something else to spend money on the Dodgers this weekend thinking you had it made in the shade. And the Pirates came in and just said, nap, enjoy the ride home. (laughs) Good on you, Bucks. Not since uh, (laughs) Sutton was struggling to deal with the Stargell Clemente teams. The Dodgers looked at, no, it's great. I, I love seeing the the again. I love seeing David go beat Goliath every once in a while. And even though it was uh, it, it put the cap on May and started June, uh, and obviously the Dodgers have a lot of baseball left to play, and they're cruising right now with a with a great. I mean, they've won six of their last ten, including that three game skid at the hands of the Pirates. Uh, but I do feel that it, it, we are obligated because we, uh, we take advantage of them for humor as often as we do. When they do something well, when they do something right, when they sweep the Dodgers in L.A., God bless you, Pittsburgh. Good for you. Keep it going, Pirates. i tell you what. If you can catch the cards and get into second place behind the, uh, the Brewers there, I'll go out and buy one of those old tin. I love those caps, the, uh, the yellow stripe, the black and the yellow stripes, the hats there with the P. And uh, the, who knows? Maybe I'll the get Kent a Kentucky's. A Kentucky. Yeah, I got a Kentucky sweater. You know, put jersey on there. What the hell? We're pulling for you, even though we poke fun. I, I'm, we're all, I'm all, I'm all for it. You know, let's see what happens. But like you said, Ted, you got to keep it going. I mean, we might be here next week, and we could, uh, and we will, folks. I just want you Pirates fans to know if they, if they turn this, uh, if they stink, we're gonna let you know how bad it smells here on Line Drive Radio. Okay. <laughs> 
this will not be the last time we talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates. It might be the only time that we give them some love, though I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more and more like Cabrian Hayes will be one of your third basemen at the All-Star game. But, uh, but again, in, 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 maybe this serves as a mild mea culpa from the two of us to Pittsburgh, an appeasement for the crap that we've given them over the last year and a half. But uh, again, full marks, full compliments of the chef. Good for the Pittsburgh Pirates for sweeping the Dodgers. Love to see it. Yeah, and for me and you personally, Teb, at least we have it on record now that uh, we gave the Pirates some props. So down the road, me and you can always cover ourselves saying, hey, remember that episode in June? Hey, we were there. You know? So it ain't all doom and gloom. So we'll see what happens. But I'll tell you where the doom and gloom is right now. I'll tell you where the smell is real bad. It stinks. Really, really bad. Surprisingly bad, unexpectedly bad, and uh, I I always had these guys as uh, you know maybe playing the Yanks in the World Series, unfortunately, in uh, episode one of season two, and that is in the city of brotherly love. No, there's no love right now. The Philadelphia Phillies. The filthy Phillies. What is going on? I had a storybook writing, uh, a book written out here, Girardi and the Yanks in the World Series. That was my prediction. I'm here to tell you, Tab, it ain't happening. Who knows if Girardi's going to be there? But here we are. It's bad. <clears throat> Third place in these 12 and a half games back. Um, if you didn't see the highlight week and a half ago of a uh, ball in the dirt that kicked wide of the plate, JT Romuto scoops it. The runner's running from first to second, throws it. It's a little wide, sails a little bit on the second baseman. He misses it. Shortstop backing up the plate, misses it. Center fielder charging hard, misses it. It rolls all the way to the track. And on a passed ball that moved about eight feet away from the plate, a run scored from first base. And that kind of summarizes your Philadelphia Phillies this year. I mean, look, they've got... uh, 99 problems, and you know what one of them is. So um, they bring in, they spend a lot of money on Castellanos and Schwarber before this year. A lot of money. Uh, Castellanos slugging 431. You probably want to see his OPS better than 742 and a negative war on the 2nd of June. Uh, has leads the team with 12 homers. Does have 25 runs batted in, but his batting average is uh, my college body weight. Um (laughs) which for those that know me now, I it was under 200 at one point, much like Kyle Schwarber's batting average as we talk on the 2nd of June. Now they got Gene Segura missing extended time. He's betting 275 um, with eight stolen bases to lead the squad. A quarter of the team's total stolen bases coming from Segura, and now he's going to be on the shelf for an extended amount of time. I mean, they thought Bryson Stott was going to come up and steal third base away from Alec Bohm because he was struggling early in the year. He's been bad. He's betting. He's got 195 on base percentage, and he's slugging 169. Um, so you'd hope to see 364 for an on base, not a OPS from Bryson Stott. His credit, Alec Bohm has come back. The power's not there. Only three jacks, but you know he's slowly climbing. But everybody's pointing at Joe Girardi, and and, and Paul, I want to I want to get your thoughts on on Girardi and the perception of his job security, because obviously you've been through it with him when he was the bench boss with your Yankees. 
Um, obviously, he didn't win rings playing for the Phillies, so it's a little bit of a different vibe there. Um, he did, you know, you don't see pictures of him catching Mariano Rivera's first save uh, in Philadelphia, so I don't think that there's as much mystique or ties to the mystique with him when he was managing the Yankees, but he's wearing it right now for a team that, with Bryce Harper only DHing because of his arm issues, uh, is just awful defensively. Hoskins is mediocre at first. Bohm has been, a, you know, a skid mark at third. Schwarber and Castellanos both having to play the outfield is just a hot, steaming pile. Um, they they built a team that was supposed to. You you talked in hockey. You like to see some defense. You'd rather not have an eight six final score. The Phillies were built for eight six final scores. They just were. And guess what? They're giving up the eight. They're not scoring the six. And right now, that's a Girardi issue in the eyes of Philadelphia fans. But, Paul, how much should we really be putting on the manager's lap for the problems in Philadelphia when even Bryce Harper has almost a three-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio to enter June? There's a lot to unpack here. You know, I love Girardi. And, and you know, you're asking me, but, you know, at the 51-game mark here, look, Girardi's a, a solid guy. He's coming in here, you know, in Philadelphia. A lot of expectations. Obviously, what ownership did here, uh, you know, spending some money, bringing in some talent, trying to round this thing out, pitching still kind of a question. But, the you know, you, some of the things how you're talking about, how they're losing, the way they're losing – you know, in any sport, sometimes, you know, ownership has to look at how a team is responding to the guy who's managing the bench. And depending how you look up and down your roster there and what you expect from certain guys and then matching them in terms of how they played with other managers um, and how a, a team, a roster, a high-end team, a high, highly paid team, with a high-paid manager here and a very experienced manager here and a winning manager, um, how, the, how the chemistry is. And the fundamental baseball. And how they just can't seem... They, obviously, there's no consistency. They, they, they really haven't put any kind of uh, major win streaks here together. Uh, you know, I'm just glancing over the, their schedule so far. Uh, they, they can't touch the Mets, you know. But... What I'm trying to get at is here. I guess the question is because you would put in the notes here. You know, if he's if Girardi's on the on the, on the maybe getting fired watch, and you know I'm joking around there in the intro to the section, uh, whether or not he's still going to be with them, which is kind of it's so weird to say at 51 games here uh, into the season. I watched uh, you know the Phillies a couple of games there in, in spring training and stuff, and you know it, it looked really good, and there was like you know there's a great great vibes. So when a team of this caliber, this talent on paper, is just not pulling through. And if injuries aren't really the major uh, flux of the problem here, and then if there are injuries, how a team kind of responds to it. So is is the gas gone here? If the tank was really full here with the expect, expectations here for the Phillies, and it's just it doesn't seem like, hey, this isn't going to light, this isn't going to get rolling here. How how do the Phillies as as an ownership group how do they handle this right now, being so far behind, 
uh, the Mets here, or do they look at okay, the Mets are going to run run away with this with with this the division, but do they hang in here with Girardi and this squad to maybe make a wild card thing and, and and get these guys an opportunity to to turn it around? So this is why I'm going to throw back to you. Do you think the Phillies are at that, regardless of of their record right now? But as far as the guys they have signed, the guys that are on the bench, and the guy who's managing the bench with his pedigree and everything else, do you hang in there with this guy? I I don't know because there's a different thing that's happening on the field. And if it's chemistry, you know, you take a guy like Boone here, you know, Booney gets ripped here in, in the postseason. But, you know, Booney's had 91 seasons in every campaign that he's had here since he's joined the Yankees. And he's had to deal with certain injuries as far as playoff time. Uh, and now he's, you know, he's he, to start this season. He's just an incredibly well-rounded lineup to get out of the gate here. Uh, it's like anything else. We'll see what happens in October. I don't know if that's the same situation here with Girardi in Philadelphia. Yeah, Sorry, I, my you know, I. It's fun to crap on Philadelphia because it's such a crappable city. Um, oh, I will omit that. No, leave it, leave it, brother, because I, I mean that. I mean, Phillies fans love to throw batteries and snowballs at Santa Claus. Oh. Um, you saw the debacle with the Sixers this year and their alleged super team that they tried to reconvene as a second super team that failed. Um, and then you've got the Phillies. I mean, here's what, here's what makes this such a, a unique proposition in Philadelphia with the Phillies. We We talk a lot on this show uh and on twitter about kind of this idea this philosophy that there's a life cycle to organizations being and groups on rosters right and the the, this uh window of opportunity and some organizations build from inside into being in a window of opportunity with championship aspirations and expectations right so we talked last year at the deadline about the Cubs moving Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez because their perception was that the window for the team that won the World Series in 2016 uh, was closed. They traded Hugh Darvish before the season. They allowed Schwarber to walk. And so the Cubs viewed that window as having closed and were transitioning to the next phase as an organization. And we've seen that elsewhere. And that it's kind of where the conversation is at, like what happens in Boston right now with, with the Bogart situation, a homegrown superstar. And then you look at the Philadelphia Phillies and you look at what they have on their roster right now. And really, I would say Aaron Nola is the only homegrown player who's making any type of an impact and living up to in any regard what they had hoped to get from him. And they artificially and financially manufactured a window by throwing a King's ransom at Bryce Harper, making a significant trade and subsequent financial investment in JT Romuto, bringing in Castellanos, bringing in Schwarber, signing Zach Wheeler. Um, they have augmented their lineup in an old school Yankees Cubs kind of way mm -hmm. where they, they thought, you know, we need to compete. We need to give fans something to talk about. So we're going to go try and buy a roster and it's not working. 
And so now you have a, a unique rock and a hard place because all of these guys have term on their deal. All of these guys have a significant financial investment in them. And it's not working. And obviously being from Chicago, I think of it because it's closer to home here. But I think back to when uh, the Chicago White Sox were allegedly won the offseason when they went for it and brought in Adam Eaton and uh, made the debacle of a trade for James Shields. If you don't know, they traded Fernando Tatis Jr. as a young teenager for James Shields. Um, But they went for it, and everybody thought that they had what it took. And in that first year, it, it backfired miserably, much like it is right now. In Philadelphia. And if Phillies fans are saying, how the hell do we fix this? How do we get out of this? Maybe that model uh, in Chicago is one that Phillies fans should, you know, potentially look at as something that they could replicate because the White Sox went for it. It didn't work. And after one brief season, they burned it down. And they didn't go for young and like entry level young 16, 17, 18 year old prospects like the Cubs did in some of their trades last year and other organizations have. They went for it, trading for teams, players who were either viewed by the organization as failed prospects or players who were on the cusp of, of getting there. So they traded Adam Eaton to the Washington Nationals for Ronaldo Lopez, nice pitcher, and Lucas Giolito, who reinvented himself and became a frontline starter who's been in Cy Young conversations over the time that he's been in Chicago. And he's got you know, some really nice pitching performances to show for it. They traded Chris Sale to the Red Sox for Michael Kopech, who who's one of the American League leaders in ERA right now, and he's having a really nice first really full season as a rotation piece, and Yon Mankata. Um, And those players have all stepped in and and looked very good. And then subsequently they traded Jose Quintana to the Cubs across town in a complete debacle of a trade from a Cubs perspective to get Dylan Cease, who was one of the strikeout leaders in the AL last year, and Eloy Jimenez, who has been hurt most of this year, was hurt most of last year, but he's one of the more dynamic bats in baseball when he's on the field. And those three trades have really completely changed the White Sox into a young organization that now has the goods that when they look at him on the field, you can reasonably say that they should be, despite their one-loss record and run differential, which we've already talked about, um, they should be a team that is one to be reckoned with in the American League. So maybe the Phillies look at that burndown that the Chicago White Sox orchestrated before the 2017 season as something that might be necessary. But it's a lot harder to see the money and the more recent commitments that they've made be a free agency, not be a trade for James Shields um, that they made. It's really hard to imagine that the Phillies are going to be able to move Castellanos or Schwarber, or if they even want to. But defensively, they're bad. Uh, Offensively, they have not come close to what they should be. And you just wonder, 
you know, a managing change isn't going to change the dynamic there. You you could uh, you could hire Billy Martin. You could hu- bring Joe Torre out of retirement. You could bring Bobby Cox out of retirement. He's not going to turn Castellanos into Andrew Jones. It's not going to happen. But on a PL level, so, Tab, do you think the Phillies might have to do this? Well, the first shoe that always drops is the manager gets axed. Sometimes it's a hitting coach that goes first. Uh, but the, you can fire a coach. You can't fire the players. So, unfortunately, I think Girardi's going to be the guy that everybody looks at getting run well in advance. But And with the Phillies, too, though, Tab, it's, it's not just one thing, right? This is collectively as a team in all aspects of the team game, as far as baseball is concerned, they're all kind of failing miserably. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, it, they're struggling here, Just it's just the bats, or uh, the, the, they just don't have the pitching, or the, the, the bullpen is ridden with injuries, or, um, you know, uh, they, don't, they don't have a solid catcher behind the play. They can't, you know, it's, it's not one specific thing here. It's kind of like everything. Right. Well, and, and this is where, the, you know, it becomes even more interesting to consider because Girardi is considered by most people to be a fairly conservative, um, do your job. I'm here to get the most out of you. So do your freaking job type manager. He's not a guy like a Gabe Kapler or a Tito Francona. That's gonna, you know, pat you on the back when you go zero for three and, and be your best friend through the struggles and the success no one, I, not many people have called Joe Girardi a player's manager. He's a demanding guy. And we talk about this in every sport. It, guys like John Tortorella in hockey and Bill Belichick in football. These are guys that expect performance and hold you accountable for performances that don't happen, right? Um, and usually, when you see a situation like this, you the pendulum more times than not is swinging from a player's manager who's too laissez-faire with the sincerity or the seriousness in the clubhouse to a guy like Girardi who's going to, you know, put the clamps down and come in and, you know, toss tables and make it a little bit more strict. So, you know, if you think having fewer rules and regulations in the room is going to get more performance, that's an interesting hypothetical. Um, But I just... Again, I don't care if it's Bruce Bochy, who's a free agent. You're not going to hire a manager who is going to turn this into a good defensive team. They had the worst bullpen in baseball by a mile last year. Their bullpen is still a tire fire. You can smell the burning rubber from Denver. So (laughs) you're not going to have a manager come in and suddenly have the bullpen become good and suddenly have the defense become good. This team has glaring holes, glaring issues. we We've talked about it since spring training and it's playing out right now where Bryce Harper was your best defensive outfielder and he can't play defense because of his arm right now, but he only plays one position. There should be more offense. They should be scoring more runs. They should be supporting their pitchers better. But when you're that bad defensively, I don't know what you expect to get as a result. You can't be a bad team and win games over a 162-game grind. The errors come up, and they come up at bad times. Some errors you can get away with. They're not getting away with anything right now. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm the Phillies, you have to have a very long, hard, and sincere conversation 
and I'll be blunt, Paul, I think the change that probably needs to happen first isn't behind the bench. I think the first change that needs to happen is they need to look at that front office, which like every other front office in the city of brotherly love has preached, trust the process, trust the process. Well, the process here is broken. And I think that you look at that general manager's butt should probably feel like the seat heater's on and it should be getting warmer because he is the guy who was the architect in building this team. He hired Girardi. He paid these guys. And it's clearly not working. And it's really hard for the guy that wrote the contracts to either trade them or cut them up. So maybe it's time that we start having a conversation, not about the manager, but about the general manager. And maybe he's the guy that needs to go first. And then you bring in someone with a new voice and a new philosophy uh, and let that individual determine what the structure should be for the organization. But, I mean, that thing's so broken. I don't know who's taking a lot of the money on the books there because it's it's ugly and guys aren't performing and it's going to be real hard for them to get any 50 cents on the dollar back for what they spent to get some of these guys. Yeah, look, it's... um. It's an interesting situation. You know, I think we all thought Philly was going to be in a better place. You know, you look at Girardi, too, and as far as his history here, I mean, he's, he's in the third year of the contract with uh, the Phillies. You know, you had the, uh, the pandemic season there, 28-32, and 82-80 last year, 22-29. Uh, now, uh, the Phillies have the option for 2023 as far as his, uh, his contract is concerned. Um, two, four, six, eight, um, you know, Ten years with the Yanks there, World Series, one, two, three, four, plus ninety, you know, ninety plus wins in a couple of, you know, whatever, uh, and and totally different lineups, you know, and I think you mm-hmm. bring, bring up a great point too about Girardi too, uh, you know, as far as him, you know, his where he was uh, being, you know, managing the Yankees and the history and everything else there too, and obviously uh, the last World Championship we won with him behind the bench here. I guess, like I said, it's just I, I, I don't really have a, a clear way to look at it. I, I was trying to, like I said, just kind of look at the angle of, like, when you make a decision to to fire a manager. And I think, like I said, everything that you brought up has just been great points. And, you know, going back to our conversation in terms of how the, the game is managed, uh, the playoffs, uh, you know, the, the components of uh, baseball and how you win. And like I said, it, it can't always just be the manager, you know. The, the guys have to produce, you know. So the only thing I'm going to just kind of f- flow back to, too, is, is whether or not, you know, Girardi continues on. Because if, if they have a really bad June here, Tab, you know, they have a chance here in terms of looking at their schedule, they might be able to kind of pick up some wins here. But if they have a really bad June here, you know, you, you seem to be coming across with the angle here, that, hey, the Phillies are just going to have to maybe just, you know, ride this season out with Girardi behind the bench, give an opportunity to maybe turn these things around. You know, they, they might not come anywhere close to a playoff spot here. And then at the end of the year, they just kind of let them go because you you feel, like I said, there's nobody to come in here and change what's really wrong with the Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Phillies here. Uh, so if you feel it's more than a, a managerial thing and it's a player thing, then I, I don't see anything changing here for the Phillies because I don't see Girardi really getting anything out of these guys. So as much of a Girardi fan as I am, I'm actually leaning towards the, the, the side here that um, – the Phillies might cut him loose here sooner than later. And I think if they have a really bad June, I think he's definitely gone uh, by that. Because it's a different vibe and very much to your point as his situation was when he was here with the Yankees. 
And because of the the moves that the the Phillies made and the the stopgap and the money and everything else that. Maybe the Phillies as an organization here, they're going to continue to do this. And I think it will be on a pure level. Well, we got to let Girardi go. It's Girardi's fault. Let's get, let's get somebody else in here. And uh, so management can kind of say, if they turn it around, they'll say, see, it was Girardi's fault. If they don't turn it around, well, letting Girardi go was probably the best thing to do because they weren't going to make it anyway and they needed a new. And we've heard this in the hockey world recently, especially here on Long Island. They needed a new voice. Um, but look, I, I'm kind of blown away. I, I really had the Phillies going all the way this year. Just if anything, like I said, it's a pipe dream when you do predictions at the beginning of the season. I'm a huge Girardi fan. Um, you know, I love Booney. So my my missing Girardi has kind of faded away because uh, I, I just think Booney's done a great job, and I just think he's uh, he's just become another great Yankee manager here. So I, I'm all good there. But I am really surprised at where the Phillies are at. And it's it you know we talk about uh, coaches and managers in, in, in any of uh, sports. There is a short window here, and I don't know if Girardi's going to get the the longer window here. And but we'll see what happens. So um, yeah, kind of a tricky situation in Philadelphia. I don't know. I, I'm mad because you know I'm not a huge Metsies fan, and I'm, I, I hate seeing them run away with the division. And I thought the Phillies were going to give them a hard time this year, but it's no there. It's not there. There's no there there. And I like teams that have life. I like teams that have personality. I like teams that have some kind of energy there. And and when you see this lineup and and the guy that's behind the bench here, and it just doesn't seem to be any of that there. And you have you have problems all around the diamond here for the Phillies. And I don't know how they're going to clean this up. Uh, the only way they're going to do it is if they have a pretty damn good June, and they pretty much got to win the whole month here, or they're going to be out of this thing early and done. And it's going to be, uh, I know you won't mind this, but pretty quiet season there in Philadelphia for the Phillies fans. Yeah, and, you know, again, I, I think we both like Joe Girardi as, as a manager, but I think he was handed a, a bill of goods that wasn't complete and not in a good way. And he's trying to make salsa out of dog poop, and it's just not happening. And so... You're right. Like I, I think based on how they're playing right now, if stuff doesn't turn a corner real fast and real hard and elevate exponentially, uh, I would be shocked if Joe Girardi was still the manager by the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they do from there, but I don't, again, I, I, I can't stress enough. Girardi, I don't think is replacing Girardi won't fix what ails this team. Uh, and while the offense might come up a tick with a different voice, um, the pitchers might perform a little bit better. At the end of the day, they are still going to be a flawed, massively mediocre defensive team in a division that is really good pitching, really good defense, and everybody can hit. And who knows, Tab? Maybe Joe wants out. Personally, he might not mind I wouldn't getting blame him. fired. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't blame him. I mean, you've talked to any again, and I, I, I threw some shade at the entire situation in that city, but Philly's not an easy town to lose in. Mm-hmm. They've had some really good coaches and managers run for their lives. I mean, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, and he barely made it to breakfast the next day before his job was gone. <laughs> so, um. You know, I wouldn't, you know, Girardi might, you know, not necessarily cry in his Cheerios if 
he does get the X, but I think it's got to start above him on the food chain. And I think there are, are so many faults and issues with this team that you, you, you've got way too many potential problems that when the things specifically the offense that you were banking on helping them through some hard times isn't there, it looks that much worse. The errors are amplified by the three-run homers that follow. Uh, the, the pitching giving up five is amplified by only scoring one or two. Uh, the fact that you've got a lot of swing and miss on that team is amplified by the fact that you don't have anybody getting on base when you do have somebody run into one like Harper or Schwarber or Castellanos. So they're they're not a fast team. Uh, they're not a team that right now is getting on base effectively at all. They're not putting a ball in play, and the only true outcome they're getting plenty of is strikeouts. And they're giving up too many unearned runs to survive in a really good division. So... Uh, we'll see what happens in Philly. It's going to be something that we'll keep watching. But, hey, you know what, Paul? We have successfully, uh, one month before my younger brother gets married in that state, uh, spent both the good and the bad <laughs> in Pennsylvania this week. Uh, maybe we'll call this the Keystone Show. Yes. But, uh, yeah, the milk's gone bad in Philadelphia, it, it, and it's it, – I don't know that it's going to be able to get a whole heck of a lot better, even if they start hitting the ball, because that defense is just atrocious. Yeah, no doubt about it. And speaking of coaches in Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers in 22 years have had nine head coaches. So, well, come on in and <laughs> see, see you on the way out, buddy. <laughs> you, know, you talk about a team that went for it 12 years ago and then burned that thing down in a hot rush when they won, lost in the cup final. You know, they, they sent guys packing after they were, you know, this close to winning a championship. So uh, Philly's a tough town to play in, whether you're good or bad. It's really hard when you're bad. Um, and I'm sure the players are hearing it. You know, sports talk radio in Philly is as critical as any city on the planet. Uh, and, you know, it, it, again, it's a lot easier to fire the manager than the players. And so Girardi's the guy that we're going to watch. But I think it's his boss the GM who should be feeling it a lot quicker than Joe Girardi could or should or probably will be. All right, we'll see what happens in Philly. See what what June bodes for them, and we'll go from there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's now time, as always, to get out your pads, your pens, your pencils, and get your uh, PayPal accounts ready. Because if you're winning money, listen to Line Drive Radio. You got to send us the funds, all right? Because it's time. Once again, for Tabs, Fantasy, Ad of the Week. And from what I see on my notes here, Tab, we're going to your hometown, the great city of Chicago. Who you got? Who's making yes, money this week? Yes, sir. Uh, so the Cubs are starting to integrate some of their young players in the lineup, and one young guy has come up, and he has been a lot of fun to watch. He's been exciting uh, he won publication in Chicago, described him as a mix of Javier Baez and Dexter Fowler. Um, in Yahoo leagues, he's eligible at second base and third base and the outfield. He's patrolling center a lot right now for the Chicago Cubs. Christopher Morrell, or Morrell, as uh, he has brought to the friendly confines. Um, fascinating young kid, a, a good friend of mine who I used to work with, Andy Martinez, wrote a really phenomenal story about this kid for Marquee, uh, the Cubs TV network. Um, 
a hand injury almost ended his career. Uh, he basically has to force his fingers open to get it into a glove. Um, just he's battled through a lot of adversity to get to the major leagues, and he's up there. And this kid is just a, an absolute joy to watch. There is a lot of Javier Baez in the way that this kid plays the game. Uh, he walked it off on Wednesday night in the last week. Uh, he's got two homers and five runs batted in, and he's got five walks to only seven strikeouts. Uh, and right now, Christopher Morell is owned in 48% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues, and that's climbing. So if, if you're in that 52% uh, and he's still available, again, three positions of eligibility with second, third, and the outfield, uh, if you're looking for, for some excitement, both in your highlight packages and on your fantasy roster, uh, Line Drive Radio this week uh, acknowledges and recommends Christopher Morell of the Chicago Cubs, your Line Drive Radio fantasy ad of the week. There you go, folks. Put them in your lineup. Hey, when you compare to uh, Baez and uh, Fowler there, that's a pretty good company. So there you go, folks. Win some money and then send it to me and Tap. That's what we like. So, Tim, yeah, do, yourself a, do yourself a favor and go find that story. Last name is spelled M-O-R-E-L. Go find that story by Andy Martinez because it was really, really well done. Excellent. Again, on the Marquee Network. Um, Tabs, I got to ask you, 51, how you, how's your squad doing? How's your fantasy squad doing at 50 games in? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If my prognostications before the season were any indicator – uh, both of my fantasy teams leave a little bit to be desired right now. Uh, the I, I'm near the bottom in my uh, more, uh, how do I phrase this, uh, financially significant uh, <laughs> league. Uh, team Kaiser Soze is 11th out of 13 right Great now. <laughs> uh, I, I, I Some of my bets have not performed up to snuff. I bet on some youngins some of which have not gone well. Spencer Torkelson now available in that league on the waiver wire. Uh, Luis Robert just coming back from COVID. I love my outfield, Julio Rodriguez, George Springer, and Luis Robert. I thought that would be cash money, but they've kind of alternated being good for two weeks at a time. Uh, I'm thrilled that Bobby Witt Jr. is playing better, and Trey Turner has been fantastic. But pitching has been a debacle, buddy. Freddie Peralta has been up and down, and now he's on the shelf. Uh, Joe Ryan's got COVID. Hugh Darvish has been up and down. So uh, I, I need a little help. Uh, I'm actively pursuing trades in that league at this time. Uh, right. So if you're, in, uh, if you're in that league, feel free to let me know what you're doing. Uh, but Kaiser Soze is open for business because much like the Philadelphia Phillies, I thought I had a team that would do well, uh, and <laughs> it has not clicked. And unfortunately in family sports, uh, you can't fire the manager. All right. It's a commitment. Sadly, you cannot. <laughs> you cannot. All right, well. Continue. I would have fired myself a month ago, brother. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right, hang in there, man. Hang in there. Just like the pirates are going to hang in there. Well, there you go, folks. Another episode is in the books right here at Line Drive Radio. But before we turn on the sprinklers, lock up the concession stands, turn the lights off, close the gates. And ask everyone to please get home safely. It's time to say goodbye. Right here at Lunch Arbor. So, Tim, 
say goodbye to the folks. As always, before you do that, I will just say thank you to everybody. Continue to follow us at Line Drive Radio. Say hi to us on the Twitterverse. Because me and Tab, we're hanging out with the Jeets now. We're going to try and see if he'll follow us, all right? So we'll keep an eye on that as well. But again, thanks everybody for listening. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. Tab, say goodbye to the good folks. Grab a bat and a ball, grab a glove. Go out, take your kids, throw the ball around. Go find a minor league game to watch. Minors are great right now. Just throw it on the TV. Get ready for your high school playoffs. College World Series is all coming up. Enjoy the game. And remember to pack the suntan lotion because I failed to do that for our Memorial Day. The boy is medium well this week, Paul. Oh, man. Well, page 50, page 75. I don't know what they're using these days, but. Send Tab some uh, some beer, some sunblock, all right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again. And uh, as we always say before we say goodbye, get out there and play ball! I drive radio is out. Woo! At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.